Uh, I want you to uh, take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And uh, just a moment, what I would like to do is after we read uh, verses 26 and 27 together, and then we will frame the message within the entire context of this chapter, especially verses 22 through 40. But after we read verses uh, 26 and 27 together, uh, Mr. Bamford, Senor Bamford, it was great to have a Spanish teacher with us on this trip. We could go on and on about how many doors, extra doors, that even opened up for us um, in helping us communicate the gospel. But if you'll uh, come up here with me and pray in Spanish for the uh, um, message today, uh, pray for me as a, as a minister. And after I read these scriptures, and you can pray, before you pray, feel free to share anything you would like to share. But, uh, and I want us to just hear a, a prayer in Spanish this morning. And, uh, well, the pastor's getting us to speak in tongues. No, it's, it's, uh, it's hearing another language, knowing that we're talking to the same God. And here's what the scripture says. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, seek me, not because you saw the signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Nuestro Padre, te damos gracias por los testimonios que hemos escuchado esta mañana. Gracias por la obra del Evangelio que hemos visto en Jarabacoa. Y por la fidelidad y el trabajo de los misioneros uh, Garrison allá. Y gracias por la oportunidad de haber visto esto y haber participado en, en la proclamación del Evangelio de Jesucristo. Uh, en este momento, Padre, te pedimos por favor tu bendición sobre uh, este tiempo. Que tu Espíritu Santo, Padre, Abra nuestros corazones y mentes y entendimiento para recibir la palabra uh, y que traga cambios y transformación en nuestras vidas. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén. And one of my joys of the whole trip was, uh, was hearing Mr. Bamford preach in Spanish on uh, Sunday night in the Dominican service. Uh, they had a Creole worship service. So many of the Haitians came to on uh, Sunday morning and, and I had the opportunity to preach there and then to hear uh, Pastor Ben uh, bring the message at the youth rally. It was, it was just uh, an exciting time. And all our kids give testimony at some point or another, it seems. Uh, this past week, and I wanted to share this to kind of frame the message, it's just one of the, another one of those God things, how God is working and tying in what He was giving me in the, the Word today, especially uh, uh, having uh, an injury before the rafting trip. Everybody else got theirs on the rafting trip, like Miss Karen and... and uh, Others that were a little banged up and bruised up, and uh, the Dominicans probably should have said, no, nah, let's, let's not go up that high on the river, but um, they did, and God, Pastor Ben had brought a great devotion on fear, so they were, they were spiritually prepared. Um, when he said, we will probably face some fear, even on this rafting trip, that was probably an understatement, but, um, but in, in all of that, how God gave us a message, and, and while I was uh, studying that morning at the Christian school, this particular text, I didn't know that the next, uh, well, two days later when we were out doing door-to-door evangelism, uh, I would have a Haitian with me by the name of Lifa, who did speak Spanish pretty good, but he didn't know a lick of English. 
And so he and I were on a team. I think every other team had someone who spoke uh, both English and Spanish pretty good, except for our team. And uh, so our, our kids, the kids that were with me, probably were thinking, we're in trouble. But uh, Lefa would always jump in and, and bail us out if we needed help. And, and I was one that needed help one time because I got a little uh, courageous. I stepped away from the team when I saw a young lady behind a fence. And uh, uh, I say a young lady, she was probably my age. And, and as I began to, to talk with her and handed her the book of Romans and, and tried to explain some things in, in, in Spanish and in, in whatever Spanish I'd learned explaining that I had a gift for it was the book of Romans inside of the Bible. And it contains the plan of salvation. Uh, she began to ask me for money. And she began to explain to me that that little book was not going to buy her groceries, that that little book was not going to put food on her table. And in a situation like that, sometimes you want to give money. You find yourself saying, well, let me just, let me just give them some money. Let me just feed them for a day. Even though we're warned by the missionaries over and over again, that's not what they need. They need spiritual needs. They need education. They need motivation. Uh, not just handouts. And, and that's, by the way, the same is true here. The entitlement mentality that, that they have in, in other nations, they have it here as well. And, and so, Lifa, uh, my, my new uh, Haitian Dominican friend, came over. And uh, again, he's probably also uh, my age, maybe a little bit younger. And he began to explain to her that uh, this book that I had given her, the book of Romans, that had the track and had all the tools that pointed her to Christ, was something that would last forever. And as he began with joy in his face to explain the gospel to her, uh, the only words I recognized was, vida eterna es mas importante que comida y dinero. He was saying, listen, the eternal life is what you need. What, what this book has to offer is so much more important than food and money and, and things that last for a short time. And I saw her go from being very cynical to being very serious and begin to bow her head. She didn't pray with uh, Lifa on that day, but I could tell he had her thinking. And that's what we're here to do, at least to share the gospel and get people thinking about eternity. And, and I'm just going to be very brief to summarize the beginning of this text and, and share a, a couple of points this morning. People were following Jesus in verses 1 through 25. We read the story of the feeding of the 5,000. When you, especially the first 14 verses there, we see that people had followed Jesus for signs and to, to get their belly filled and in verse 4, we read this is the time of uh, approaching the season of Passover, so they were thinking religiously at this time. And uh, verses 5 through 7, we learn about how the little boy offered what he had. You know, we don't have to feel like we have all the resources to be a blessing to others. So Jesus is kind of challenging them and and they are saying we can't feed all of this. Verse 8 is where Andrew says to Jesus, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and, and two small fish. And so this boy gives what he has, Jesus blesses it, and we learn that principle, much is in it when God's blessing is on it. Then kind of a side note, verses 15 through 21, after 
We experience God's hand in miracles. Often we go through a storm. But the disciples did discover, as we've already heard this morning, that the same Jesus that's with you in the miracle is also there in the storm. Walks with you through the most difficult moments. The problem, before we get to the text that I read just a moment ago, is, is this. Crowds followed Jesus because they were following miracles. Crowds followed Jesus often because they were following handouts. And he has explained to them, you're, you're not coming after me because you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. You're here, he was saying to the crowds, you're here because you saw miracles. And you're here because you had your bellies filled. But there's something much more important than that. Having said that, it did not keep Jesus from using the miracles and using the gifts to get their attention. But we know that what He was really wanting them to focus on was real life, real issues. And so I titled this message, Keeping It Real with Everyone Everywhere. And from verses 26 through 40, he says, let me explain to you something you should have learned from the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, all of this, something you need to understand. He wanted to encourage them. Jesus taught them, first of all, to look for real substance. Look for something that is real and goes deeper and is more substantive than the things of this world, than physical health or even food in your belly. In verse 26, Jesus said, as we read a moment ago, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus knew their motives weren't pure, but he still used the opportunity to gain an audience. He knew before he fed the 5,000 what their response would be. But he also knew that it would get their attention. And it's okay. As we did this past Friday night, and we found worked in the Dominican Republic just like it works here in the United States, it's okay to use free pizza to get a crowd and to get somebody's attention. Amen? It works for our teenagers, work for their teenagers. And then we see in verse 27 that real substance, real spiritual substance is spiritual nourishment. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Pastor Ben told some young people after they discuss their favorite meals on Friday night. You will be hungry again. Only Jesus offers something that satisfies forever. He says, this endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on Him. See, the signs were not the main thing. They set a seal on Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, we learned that Jesus had been anointed, that He did the miraculous because it got the attention and it said, God's hand is on this man. But the intention was not to get people to worship and follow after miracles, but to get people to worship and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of all. And so He begins to reveal that He is the answer. And then from verses 28 to 33 here, we see that God wants to get, He wants to even use us to get their eyes on Him. What shall we do? Verse 28 says that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to the people, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. 
Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Our fathers, they ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. I'm sorry, Moses did give you bread, or did not give you bread, but my Father gives you the true bread that is from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the real substance. The real substance is not free pizza. But if it gains an audience and we can give them the real substance, that's great. The real substance next week is when we go up here to Danielsville. And some of you have asked me, well, why don't we do more fundraisers and things like that? Because sometimes it bothers me when folks see the church out there asking. Now, when we go out there and we're not asking people to come up and buy, but we're giving them a hot dog and we're giving them a snow cone and we're giving them bracelets and we're giving them tote bags and we're just saying, here's something free for your family. Come and enjoy it. We're giving something free. We know that hot dogs and snow cones and popcorn, and we know that's not the real substance, but if it gains an audience and gives us the opportunity to place the gospel in their hands, that is the real substance. And that's what we're seeking to accomplish. And here's the key, church, and here's the key for me and for you. When we're doing social ministry, when we're doing benevolent ministry, when we're meeting physical needs, we must follow that up by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember watching an episode of uh, Mr. Bean. I believe it was Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean. Does anybody know who Mr. Bean is? Rowan Atkinson. Love the old Mr. Bean shows. And um, at least the ones where he doesn't speak because I'm not worried about what he's going to say, right? Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean. He, he's, he's, it's Christmas time and he's with his girlfriend. He's in town. And he sees in the store, a jewelry store there's this picture and in the picture, there is a, uh, a young lady with a beautiful diamond ring. And so Mr. Bean's girlfriend points to the ring and kind of hints that that's what she wants for Christmas as she points. And so he's like, I get it. I know what she wants. I've got it. And so later, after um, uh, she had left, he went into the store and he bought the picture. And at Christmas, he gave her the picture. The picture was just something that, that demonstrated what she really wanted was the substance. When we're out there ministering, when we're out there, whether it be in the Dominican Republic or whether it be in the park in Danielsville or in your neighborhood or in my neighborhood, when we're meeting the needs of others, that's not the real substance. That's a picture of what Jesus can do spiritually in their life and satisfy them forever. But let's be sure that we follow that up with the real thing. That we give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Relational and benevolent evangelism. When do we, in those contexts, when do we get into the gospel and, and share Jesus? Maybe you're building a relationship with someone today or, or are seeking to do acts of service to get their attention. When do we introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The president of Golden Gate Seminary, Dr. Jeff Org, said, this when asked that question. He said, usually sooner than we think. We think we've got to just keep on uh, building that relationship, and it might last for years. They may not have years. They may not have months. They may not have days. We need to share the gospel. Secondly, Jesus taught them to live with real satisfaction. In, in verses 34 through 37, they said, Lord, give us this bread. 
always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. He says, no, be, be really satisfied. Jesus taught them to live with a real satisfaction. He says, basically, you haven't believed yet. You haven't grasped this yet. And in order for us to convince others that there's something real and substantive about Jesus, then we need to be really satisfied in our relationship with Christ. We need to be continually, as Ephesians 5.28 says, we need to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit so they can see that Jesus truly does satisfy. If you're offering something that is real, it must be real to you. It must be real to me. Believers often appear as if they themselves are unsatisfied. One of the greatest obstacles to Christianity is joyless churches and disgruntled Christians. Christians that lose their joy at the drop of a hat, or Christians trying to be satisfied with worldly things rather than being satisfied with Jesus. They'll say, I can be satisfied as long as I have a little more popularity. I can be satisfied as long as I satisfy these sensual desires, even if it's outside of marriage. I could be satisfied if I had the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend. I could be satisfied maybe with some drugs, alcohol, and some chemical dependency. And when we do that, not only are we harming ourselves, if you are a born-again believer and you backslide into seeking those things to satisfy, you're, you're, you're like having a teammate who's th- trying to throw the game for you. You ever played on a team and, and maybe you had a teammate, maybe I was that teammate, just have a bad game, and, and sometimes you wonder, are, are they trying? Are they trying to give the game away? You're like, no, I've seen that happen. I'm a, I'm a uh, Falcons fan, right? No. You wonder sometimes about that teammate. Are they really? Are they trying to throw the game for the rest of the team? And so if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you name the name of Christ, or you say, I'm a member of Trinity Baptist Church, and you're out there seeking popularity from this world, the sensual desires being fulfilled by the things of this world, a boyfriend, girlfriend, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, then it's almost like having a teammate who's trying to throw it for the team because they're saying Jesus doesn't really satisfy. Real satisfaction comes only through Christ. And again, I thought Pastor Ben did a wonderful job pointing that out to the youth this past Friday night. This truth is universal and absolute. That's one of the principles of hermeneutics. When you study a a passage of Scripture and you say, is this what the Bible is teaching? If it won't preach in every country, if it won't preach any time, any place around the world, then it's a bad hermeneutic of Scripture. So, So when a pastor stands up and says, boy, you need to come to Jesus because if you come to Jesus... You'll wear a Rolex, a real one hardly, not like the ones in Dominican. If you come to Jesus, you'll wear a Rolex and you'll drive the nicest car and you'll live in the best home. Just, just come to Jesus and you'll have all these things. Listen, if that won't preach in Ethiopia, it's a bad hermeneutic. The real thing is Jesus Christ. And we can live with real satisfaction when we have that real substance. And finally, Jesus taught them that they could leave with real security. Look at verses 38-40. through 40. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me, this is the will of the, the, of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who, who sees the, 
the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Jesus came to take hold of those who would reach out to Him. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, John tells us why he's writing this gospel. He says, I'm writing to convince you to believe in Jesus Christ that you might have real life in His name. John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Everything you might see in this world, everything that the devil offers you in this world is that it might still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. I like to say it this way, real life and that you might have it more abundantly, that you might live it to the fullest. And there's a security in that life. Verse 40 again, this life that we have is everlasting, and He will raise us up at the last day. We can say, I know where I'm going because I know who I'm following. John 10 where he made that statement that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In verse 28 of that same chapter, he says, all that the Father puts in my hand, I'm not going to lose any of them. Your eternal destiny is sealed. And that brings such a real security. If there's ever been a time where the world seems insecure, it's today. But we are secure in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And that provides you with a tremendous confidence. And when we lack that confidence, by the way, insecurity, I know we, we know the Bible teaches us that, that money is the root of all kinds of evil. But I would say this, insecurity is also the root of all kinds of evil. Where does bullying come from? Insecure people. Where does stealing come from? Insecure people. Why do some give in to sexual sin? Not necessarily just because of the lust of their flesh, but for some time, often for young ladies, because of insecurity. Where does racism come from? Insecurity. Where does chemical dependency often develop? Often because of insecurity. You've got to please the crowd. For many, they're searching for satisfaction. But there are also many others who are looking for security in the wrong places. I've told the story to many of our young people many times of a young lady who was a gymnast at the University of Georgia uh, when I went to a competition there uh, back when I was in college. And Georgia was trying to wrap up a championship, uh, an SEC championship. And I believe their competition that particular, at that particular time was Alabama and uh, on that particular night. And by the time this young lady, her name um, is Hope, by the time that she performed on the floor exercise, which was Georgia's last exercise of the event, by the time she was to perform, because they would drop the lowest score of the six who would perform, by the time she performed, Georgia had already clinched the championship. In other words, she could have gotten a zero, they could have dropped her score, and it would have been, Georgia would have still won. She did not even have to perform. And having that news, she went back to the scorer's table. And, and we didn't know this until they announced it later, and it was in the papers, that she went back and she changed her routine to attempt something that at that time had only been done in the Olympics, but never, never in NCAA competition. 
And, and, and you know, all the jumps and, and leaps and twists and turns and, and dance moves and all that, I, I couldn't comprehend. But I did know this. You can tell when they just kind of nail it at the end. And, and she nailed it. And when the uh, this routine that had this whatever jump or turn or spin or twist or whatever that had never been done in a college competition before, when she nailed that, the place just, and you know, uh, in Georgia Gymnastics, by the way, they have about three times as many people that show up as they do for men's basketball. And, and they all stood up and they just cheered and they, the place went crazy. And it did it again when a perfect 10 went up on the score. I mean, the place just went nuts. And I asked myself this question later on. Why did she do that? What happened when she had the security of, we can't lose? See, a lot of people say this about security, especially maybe if they refer to maybe our denomination or other denominations, they say, you guys believe in eternal security, and that just becomes a license to sin. Well, if you, if you teach eternal security, people will go out and just live like the devil and live like they want to live. Not so. If you truly understand security, if you truly understand you can't lose what Christ has accomplished for you, it will not make you passive and irresponsible. It will make you attempt things for God that you never dreamed you could do. That's real security. That's real security. Insecurity is what causes us to go seek security in this world. Real security says, I can do something for God I never dreamed I could accomplish because He's holding on to me. He's holding on to me. And He's not going to let go. We sang that earlier, didn't we? He's not going to let go. Would you bow your heads with me?